you would turn with me again, we're going to go to our Lord in prayer and ask his blessing on uh, Tim and on all the proceedings tonight. Well, God, we do praise you for what we just sang about, what we heard proclaimed to us in Ephesians chapter 1, that in Christ we have redemption and forgiveness of our sins through his blood. Lord, your blood was spilled for us in our place where our sins deserved God's wrath and curse. Yet, Lord Jesus, you took that wrath and curse for us so that now a way could be opened into heaven for each believer. And so, God, we rejoice in that gospel, that, that gospel that thrills our hearts, fills us with not only joy, but a sincere desire to please you. And so tonight we come asking that you would enable us to walk in a way pleasing to you. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for the work that you've done here at Greater Hope over the last five and a half years. And even before that, while we were still praying and dreaming about what a, a church in Mulberry might be like, we thank you that you've met us at every step. Or there have been hard days, there have been some dark days, but oh God, you have been with us in the midst of them all. And you have called people to yourself, people sitting in this room, people sitting out under the tent who know you as Savior today, who didn't before. And God, many who have found a new, um, a renewed relationship with you through their walking with you here. And God, we thank you that you have raised up Tim. We thank you for his life story, O oh God, and the ways that from the time he was born you had marked him and chosen him to be your own. For the ways that you prepared him for the ministry through a lifelong study of your scripture. And God, we pray tonight as he comes to the, really what is a a culmination, yes, but also a beginning. I pray that our brother Tim's heart would be filled with your Holy Spirit, would be filled with a sense of your presence with him. And God, may his ministry among us be a fruitful ministry. God, bear the fruit of your preached word and of the pastoring work of Tim and myself and the elders here at this church. May it be a fruitful work that builds up your people in holiness and builds up your people in comfort and joy. And Lord God, that brings yet many more into a saving relationship with Jesus. Lord, it's on your covenant of grace that we lean today. A covenant which David proclaimed is ordered in all things and sure. And God, we need that because so much in our lives is unsure and disordered. And so God, we pray that as we lean on our great covenant Lord, that his presence would be near to us, that he would be our teacher, and that he would be our guide, especially now as we come to open your word and think about its various themes. Would you write its truth on our hearts? We ask these things in the name of Jesus, and all of God's people said, amen. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to our sermon text this evening, which is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You can find a pew Bible as well in front of you. It's a black Bible, and the passage is found on page 935. 935. Uh, I chose this passage from Paul's letter to Timothy uh, not because I believe I'm Paul and Tim is Timothy. Uh, I don't believe that. Actually, um, I'm not old enough to be his Paul. <laughs> 
Um, he's actually older than I am. Uh, but I did choose it because in the pastoral letters, not only do you have a mentor talking to a mentee, but you just have two fellow pastors who have a lot of affection for one another. Uh, they've walked through a lot together. They, they understand one another's calling because they share in the same calling. And so that's why I chose it, because there's a lot of affection uh, between Tim and I. I love Tim, and I believe Tim loves me, and that's because... For a long time now, we've walked through many different things, spent many different hours uh, talking through issues and going through experiences together right here in this church. And the, a great place to turn to talk to not just him, but all of y'all, is to a letter written by a pastor who loves a fellow pastor and has much to say to him in direction for his ministry. And so tonight, I know most of us in this room are not pastors, but I hope that speaking to you a little bit about the pastor's work will help you understand why we're here and how you can be praying and what role you might have. Everybody has a role in this overall work of the Christian church. So I'll begin in verse 1 and read down to verse 13. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Amen. In the 2002 movie, uh, We Were Soldiers, uh, the one starring uh, Mel Gibson, uh, Mel Gibson's character, he was a lieutenant, lieutenant colonel in the United States Army during the Vietnam War, is having a conversation with the sergeant major above him about the battle that's coming in the next days. And the thing that's on uh, Mel Gibson's, I'll just call him Mel Gibson, the thing that's on Mel Gibson's heart is how many people are coming against us and are we ready? What should I tell my men we are facing? And as Mel Gibson begins to ask that, it's very clear that upper command has no idea the answer. They don't know how many men there are. They, they give these vague answers like, we have appraised that their forces are manageable. Things like that, which is really good uh, sort of government speak for, we don't know, but trust us. And so Mel Gibson um, calls them on it. He says, let's be honest, you have no idea, do you? And the commanding officer says, no, we really have no idea. 
But listen to what he says. He says, but we have orders. We have no idea, but we have orders. Simple orders from high command. Find the enemy and kill him. Nothing more. Scene ends. I thought about that scene as I read this exchange between Paul and Timothy, the pastor that he so loved. Because he says in the passage there in verse 3, he wants Timothy as a pastor to live as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I suppose that you could make too much of that analogy between a soldier and a pastor, right? We all know the pastor who feels like everybody is there to battle. And that, that guy probably needs to be told, it's okay, you don't have to be a soldier every day in every way. However, there is one particular way Paul says you're supposed to be like a soldier. And it's, it's, it's encapsulated in that quote that I just read you. A, a pastor, when he's called into his work, has no idea the specifics that he is going to face on the other side of his call. He has no clue what the opposition will be, what the difficulties will be. Not in the specifics anyway. He only has generalities. But he has orders. They're simple orders, not to find and to kill, but to find and to win, to find and to share a message of good news that is for the salvation of the world. And in a way, no matter what is around the corner, no matter what difficulties that pastor may face, he is still to persist as a good soldier in carrying out the orders given to him. And so tonight, for these next few minutes, I want to look at this passage with you briefly by answering three questions. First of all, what are a pastor's orders? Secondly, where do his orders come from? And lastly, how can he keep his orders? Y'all ready? First of all, what are the pastor's orders? There in verses 1 and 2, you see it. If you'll look down again at 1 and 2, Paul says to Timothy, I want you to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's something about the gospel message that strengthens the heart unlike anything else. And here's the reason why. The gospel message of Jesus is about grace. It's not about works. It's not about, hey, here is a few things you can do to make yourself better so that God will love you. It's not, here is how you come into cooperation with God so that God will bless you for your efforts. It's about how you, dead in your trespasses and sins, cannot make yourself alive, but God made you alive through Jesus. A message of grace. A message of forgiveness. And grace nourishes the human heart when the human heart is broken by their sin, as we talked about this morning, greater hopers. We talked about how only a broken heart can receive the gospel. And the reason for that is into the broken heart comes the soothing medicine of grace. Paul says to Timothy, that message of grace is one that ought to strengthen your heart too because here's what the pastor's orders are. To go no matter what the cost into the church and into the world entrusting that message of grace to more people. It's a simple order, isn't it? It's not to find and to kill the enemy. It's to go and take the gospel of grace and to bring it to more in such a way that you can say you actually entrusted it to them. It's not just about uh, saying information so that people can hear it. It's about taking something you have embraced and entrusting it to them. When you hear that word entrust, what do you think of? 
I think of something very precious that you value, that you want to not only give it to someone, you want to make sure that they value it as much as you do. And that they value it so much that they want to then pass it on to the next person so that they value it as much as they do. And right there you have it in a nutshell, the pastor's marching orders from on high. A pastor is a faithful man who has been entrusted with the gospel message that has transformed and is continuing to transform his life, who takes that gospel message to more people that the church might all be built up so that every person in the church, man, woman, boy, and girl, might also take their place in displaying the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's the pastor's job. Now, what could go wrong, right? What could go wrong? Lots and lots of things. In fact, Paul says to Timothy in verse 3, as you go out to teach others and entrust this message to others, you will share in suffering. And I could give you a list this evening of various potential sufferings that a pastor might face. I've experienced some myself. I don't want this to become a complaint session. And I really don't feel like I have anything to complain about. But I'll just tell you, sometimes it hurts to love a message and to love a Savior and to love a people with that message and the love is not returned. That's one way that you might suffer. Another way you might suffer is you will actually have people who oppose the message. Not everybody likes the gospel message. Uh, the gospel message, after all, is controversial because it says not only are you saved by grace, but you're dead in your sins. That's not a popular message. And so you will face a lack of popularity. You will face potentially the hurts and the, the slings and the arrows of various relationships. But nevertheless, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I love you. You're, you're like my son. And I want you to continue to carry out your orders even when it hurts. Because the church of Jesus Christ is worth it to Jesus. After all, he died for his people. He died to win his church. And so he gives them pastors, as Jeremiah says, I will give you pastors after my own heart. That's a direct quote from Jeremiah. I will give you shepherds or pastors after my own heart who will take up the responsibility of entrusting the gospel message to more people. Some of you might be asking, well, where does that leave me? I'm not a pastor. Well, it leaves you with a great vision of blessing. The Bible says that the church is like a body. Uh, just like a human body, every part is different, and every part has a different function, but when they're all connected together and working together, the whole thing flourishes. And so a pastor is just one part of a whole body. The pastor is not everything. The pastor is not the sum total of the church. The pastor is rather a servant coming uh, really up under a church to bear a church up to help every person learn what God is calling them to do, how God is calling them to work out their salvation and to work out their calling in honor of Jesus Christ. That's why God gives pastors after his own heart. That's the simple marching orders from on high no matter what happens. Now secondly, I want you to see where those orders come from because this means a lot. Sometimes we tend to think, isn't uh, pastoral ministry and church leadership, isn't that just... Didn't Jesus found the church and then people kind of took it over and made of it what they wanted to? 
That's what we think. I think if we're honest, we often think that way in our culture, don't we? Like Jesus started the church and then it went bad because everybody started messing with it. And everybody started inventing all these things like pastors and ordinations and all this stuff. It's too fussy. And yet notice what Paul says. The way he puts it there in verse 3, after he says share in suffering, he says, I want you to share in suffering as a good soldier. And notice there's not a period after that. The sentence continues, a good soldier, what? Of Christ Jesus. A good soldier of Christ Jesus. Do you notice how he speaks about Jesus as if he's still alive? And as if he's still present within the church? The picture of the New Testament is not that Jesus founded the church and then died and here we are making a big old memorial for him. Jesus ain't dead, right? Jesus was raised from the dead on Easter. He's alive gloriously. And in the church, Jesus is still present. In fact, the ordination of pastors and the gathering in of new members into the church and the building up of those members in the faith, all of it is actually accomplished by Jesus, though he is unseen among us. It's Jesus through his spirit. It's Jesus speaking in the word, so much so that the Bible can actually say when it speaks about preaching, it doesn't say we're preaching about Christ. It says we're preaching Christ. And it doesn't just say you're hearing about Christ. It says you're hearing Christ. You're hearing Jesus when the word is opened. And so Paul says to Timothy, I want you to remember whose orders they are that you have. They're orders from the highest level. From Jesus who was raised, from Jesus who now sits uh, above all rule and all authority in all the universe. And yes, that means he is the Lord and head of his church, present tense, not past tense. And so he continues the, the metaphor by saying uh, a soldier in verse 4 does not get entangled in civilian pursuits. When a soldier is at battle, his focus is singular. It's on the mission at hand, the battle at hand. He doesn't worry about all the other stuff of life because his one thing is to please. Listen to what it says, to please the one who enlisted him. And so a pastor is someone who has a relationship with a living Christ who lives within the church alive and the heartbeat of his life ought to be, I want to please him. I want to please him. Uh, if you're a normal Greater Hope person, you know I say this all the time. If you come to church for any other reason except God, you won't come long. Amen. If you try to live the Christian life for any other lesser reason besides the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus, you won't do it long. And you won't do it very well. Same thing for pastors. If we do not serve God's people with his word for him, we won't do it long. And the numbers, of course, bear that out. I mean, how many pastors, I don't remember the percentages, I didn't look this up, but a very high percentage of pastors after five years of ministry get out of ministry. And I'm not saying every one of them got out because they didn't care for Jesus, but I'm sure some of that is mixed up in there. Because if you're going to be sent by Christ, your main aim has to be to please him, to see his pleasure in your carrying out his will. Which is why Paul introduces two more metaphors, which, you know, Paul loves metaphors, and he sometimes can confuse us in the way that he 
piles them one on the other. He points next to an athlete who is crowned, it says, because he uh, plays the game according to the rules. This is true, right? This is one of the reasons why I love to watch sports. I'm a big sports fan. I love to play them, but I especially love to watch them because when you watch sports on TV, you're watching people who have studied the game really intensely. They know it inside and out. They know the rules, that they know what it takes to be successful, and they show it. It's a beautiful thing to watch, in my opinion. You don't have to like it, but in my opinion. Well, Paul says this about pastors and about really all Christians. If our aim is to please Christ, ought we not to be people who are very familiar with how Christ wants things to be done? How he wants his church to be run and operated, how he wants our lives to be run and operated, what type of behavior, what type of thought life, what type of word life pleases him? And if we know it, uh, we should be like those athletes who submit ourselves to the discipline of playing the game and training for the game according to the accepted rules of the way the game ought to be played. And he brings up another one. He brings up the farmer. You see, a farmer, like an athlete, like a soldier, has a similar uh, workflow. It says in verse 6, the hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. You notice the hardworking farmer. Well, I began to think about that this week. I don't think he's bringing up a farmer just because a farmer breaks a sweat. I believe like the athlete and like the soldier, the farmer, if his sweat is going to count for anything, must be sweat given judiciously, (laughs) wisely. Um, You know how it is with farming. There's a season for this kind of work. There's a season for that kind of work. There's a season for the next kind of work. You can't work the same in all seasons. And it reminds me of what Paul says about preachers. You ought to be ready in season and out of season. You ought to work wisely according to the laws, in the case of the farmer, the laws of creation. In the case of the soldier, the laws of your commander. In the case of an athlete, the laws of the game. In the case of the pastor, the laws of Jesus Christ. All the while knowing that Jesus Christ is not a distant memory. He's not a dead martyr, founder of a religion that we remember. He is a living Lord and Savior right alongside you. And right alongside y'all as we carry out this work as his family right here in Mulberry. From the same movie, the... um, We were soldiers. Later on, another character says to Mel Gibson's character, to follow your instincts and to inspire your men by your example, you have to be with them. You have to be with them. And then he gives this picturesque thing. You have to be with them where the metal meets the meat. It's a gruesome picture, but it's an important one, right? Where the metal meets the meat. You got to be out there, he says, Willing to put your life on the line if you're going to ask them to put their life on the line. Now think about this. Where has Jesus been with us? This commanding officer that's commanding every Christian and commanding every pastor's heart. Where has he been with us? Has he not been with us where the metal meets the meat? Precisely that actually, right? He went all the way to the cross to win his church to himself. We know he loves the church more than we do. We know that ultimately we're not the lords of the church, neither are we its saviors. 
whether you're a pastor or whether you're just a member. You're not the Savior of the church. You're not the Lord of the church. He is. But here's the thing. He's with us. He has been with us in the fiercest of battles when he defeated our sin on our behalf. And therefore, we can attempt great things for him, expecting that he will always keep his promises to bless his church and to grow his church. And that leads us to the last thing. How can a pastor carry out his orders? And I just want to simply point you to verses 8 through 13, where he says, very simply in the first three words, remember Jesus Christ. You see, this is the key. Uh, And this is a key not only for a pastor, this is a key for every Christian. Do you want to know what God's calling you to do in your life? Look to the word of Christ. Do you want to know why you should do it? He died for you. Do you want to know how you can do it? Remember Jesus Christ. He's the source. When the Bible says remember, like in the Passover, like in the Lord's Supper, various places, when it says remember, it doesn't just mean you forgot it, recall it to mind, the fact, like flashcards. It doesn't mean get out your Jesus flashcards and remember Jesus. When the Bible says remember, it's personal. It's deep. It's take to heart what you have known. Learn it better. And as you learn it, take it to heart. What Paul is saying in these last verses to his dear, dear friend in the ministry, Timothy, is, Timothy, if you're going to be a good soldier of Jesus, if any pastor is going to carry out the commission that Jesus gives them, they themselves have to have a daily transformative relationship with Christ. You have to remember as a pastor that he was risen for the dead for you, from the dead for you, that you live because he lives, that one day you will be raised because he is raised, that his gospel is going out into all the world, and no matter what may happen to you as the servant of the gospel, the gospel itself cannot be undone. No matter what may happen to Greater Hope Church or Southwest Florida Presbytery or whatever the case may be, the gospel itself cannot be overthrown. As Paul says here, I am suffering as a criminal in chains. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. But I know the word of God is not bound. Because Jesus is alive and powerful. Where his word is, he is. Where his word is heard, he is heard. The work that God wants to get done in the world, he gets done through his word. In his church. The word of God, he says, is not bound. Instead, what, is it, what it does is it goes into the world and every one of God's elect, God's great chosen people that he has put his love on, will obtain salvation and will be brought one day into eternal glory. Do you notice the invincible nature of God's plan? As he sends the word out, it will bear fruit. The exact fruit that God designs for it. We're not in charge of that. Uh, we sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we want it to. Um, many times we may suffer many indignities and weaknesses and frailties as human beings. That does not mean the word of God is frail or weak or suffering indignities. And so our hope as pastors and, by the way, as people, as Christians, is to remember Jesus Christ. A line is drawn in the sand now that Jesus has been raised. 
If we die with him, we'll live with him. If we endure with him, we'll reign with him. But if we deny him. You see how it is? The gospel is high stakes. If you believe and accept the gospel, you will live forever. If you reject Jesus Christ, the wrath of God will remain over you. That is high stakes, a line in the sand. And a pastor has to be somebody who feels the tension of that line deep in their soul. By the way, so should every Christian feel the tension of that line. That Jesus is at work, his word is invincible, but every human soul we encounter is a soul that will either go to heaven or to hell. And it depends on whether or not they receive Christ as he's offered to them in the gospel. Whether they become united to Jesus by spirit-given faith. A pastor's orders. Folks of Greater Hope Church, you need to pray for Tim. And while I'm up here, pray for me. And while I'm up here, pray for yourselves as I pray for you and as Tim prays for you because every one of us has a part to play in this body. A pastor is just a minister. I love that title for a pastor because minister just means servant. It's all we are. We're trying to serve you for God's sake. For the sake of God, we're serving you with the word so that you all might come to what God has designed for you. Salvation. Eternal glory. A display of Jesus in Mulberry, Florida. Amen? Let's join together as we pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this word. We ask, oh, Lord, that you would write it on our hearts. Would you please equip us as we go into this next section of our service? Lord, I pray that you would receive our thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to worship now uh, through giving for a moment. If one of our deacons would come forward and collect the offering, we're going to worship through giving for a moment, and then we'll proceed to the ordination. I'm going to transition us now into this final part of our service, which is the actual ordination. Um, This is, I have to say, a uh, service hosted officially by the Southwest Florida Presbytery. Uh, There is a commission of that presbytery here at hand. You can find all the names of the commission uh, printed on the back of the bulletin. And what has happened, the reason why this commission has been sent to do this is Tim has gone through the process of an internship with the presbytery. Uh, He's also gone through numerous examinations, both for licensure to preach the gospel and then now for ordination. He's been been examined in his personal Christian experience, uh, his call to the ministry, He's been examining his knowledge of the Bible, his knowledge of theology, uh, his views on theology and of the sacraments and even of church history, uh, covering just 2,000 years of history. Not, no biggie, right? And after all of that, uh, we are here tonight to set him apart for the gospel ministries, particularly here at Greater Hope Church as associate pastor. So Tim, I would invite you to come forward and stand here in front, and I'm going to proceed to ask you the questions for ordination. You can find these printed, y'all, in the bulletin if you want to follow along. These come from our Book of Church Order, chapter 21. And then there are four questions that I'll be asking the members of Greater Hope to affirm as well. Tim, love you. Glad you're here. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice, do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church 
as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will of your own initiative make known to your presbytery the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Do you? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Have you been induced as far as you know in your own heart to seek the office of the holy ministry from love to God and a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace and unity of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account? And do you now engage to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and a minister of the gospel, whether personal or relational, private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before the flock of God which, of which he has made you overseer, do you? And are you now willing to take charge of this church agreeable to your declaration when accepting their call? And do you, relying upon God for strength, promise to discharge to it the duties of a pastor? Amen. And now, congregation members of Greater Hope, I would ask you to uh, affirm by saying I do together in one voice to each of these questions. Do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Tim Brown, whom you have called to be your associate pastor? Do you? Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Do you? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? Do you? And finally, do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort, comfort among you, do you? Amen. We're going to now pray for you. Tim, if you would uh, come to the center here, and we're going to ask you to kneel. And anybody who is an ordained uh, elder in the Presbyterian Church in America, I'm going to invite you to come forward and lay hands with us on Tim as we pray to ordain him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for our brother Tim and for how you have worked mightily in his uh, life to bring him to this moment. Uh, and I'm just so grateful that um, you, you have uh, brought him to us, that here in Greater Hope in Mulberry, we have uh, another minister to uh, bring about your glorious word uh, in such a dark and dying world. And we ask that you would bring him strength in his ministry. 
Uh, God, we pray that he would preach with all the power of the Holy Spirit, that as he prepares every sermon, as he uh, gets ready to uh, preach your word, that it would be in your spirit and not in his own, that he would not do this for selfish gain or vain conceit, but that he would do it out of love for you first and foremost, and out of love for this congregation. God, I pray that you would help Tim live out his uh, the words that he preaches, that uh, holiness would be something that he takes absolutely seriously. Um, God, we pray that there would be no hypocrisy in his life, but that uh, every word that he preaches and charges to us as the congregation, that he would also live out himself. God, please keep Tim above all reproach. Uh, and especially protect his marriage in uh, the times that we are in today where temptation seems to be around every corner. We pray that you would guard his heart, guard his marriage, that uh, as he continues to serve you faithfully, you would continue to build him up in his marriage and strengthen that love that's already there. Uh, God, we pray that he would also be sober-minded, uh, not haughty or puffed up about uh, what he is or his position, um, but that he would, as he has already exhibited with such a humble spirit, that he would continue to um, lay himself down at your feet and just glorify your name. God, we pray for uh, self-control as well, that... Um, he would do uh, everything with uh, measured reason and that uh, your goodness and your glory would shine in all he does. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. And Father, we, uh, we just thank you for who you have made Tim to be. We thank you for the time uh, that we spent with him so far and, and just the joy he's He's brought to our lives um, through his preaching. Uh, when he's been given that opportunity to uh, to share with us, when uh, in the conversations that we've had, and just in the humble nature and the gentle spirit you've given him, I pray, Lord, that you would help him uh, be a man who would love to engage with you for all of his life. Uh, that through your spirit poured into him, that he would receive that willingly through your word, through your means. Uh, that his heart would grow in holiness, uh, and Lord, that his life would grow in love for others, that as he receives from you, he'd freely give to others through his preaching, through his life, through his work for you. I pray, Father, that you would uh, humble him greatly, and not in the way that the world looks at humility, not by him just making himself smaller or beating himself up, uh, Father, but by being such a... Uh, a growing, ever-increasing um, God in his sight, that you would be bigger and bigger, and that through that, his humility would be true humility, as he viewed you ever, ever larger, ever great, ever loving, and so much more than you are to him even now. I pray you would skill him in communicating your worth to others, to his family, to his friends, to those uh, under his care at work. And, Father, that you would do this in the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for this wonderful time that we have together. To be with Tim, to encourage him, and to charge him. Lord, may your spirit be upon Tim uh, today 
and always, especially going forward, we thank you for preparing Tim for this day of ordination, for the good work that he has done uh, in, in, the, in these many, many months of preparation. But Lord, the work is now just beginning. We pray your spirit would be upon Tim as he ministers to this congregation, that the people of greater hope would be open to Tim's preaching and his teaching and his ministering to all of this congregation, that Tim would be faithful in ministering to this congregation in a wonderful way that is pleasing in your sight, that is driven by the Holy Spirit, and in consistent obedience with Christ. We thank you for this great opportunity for Greater Hope Church to add a pastor, another pastor, to this church to continue to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ through Greater Hope Church into the city of Mulberry and beyond. And Lord, that this may be a great opportunity for growing your church. And we, may we and may Tim acknowledge this is your church, Jesus. May we be faithful in all that we do. May Tim be faithful in all of his call. We thank you for these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Tim, if you would, just for a second, remain standing up here. I have a pronouncement to make. Tim and everyone else, I now pronounce and declare that Tim Brown has been regularly elected, ordained, and installed pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the Word of God, and according to the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such, he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Tim, congratulations. What a privilege to witness Jesus Christ and his ascension glory give another minister to his church. This is my charge to you, dear brother. Pray without ceasing. The Westminster Assembly, in their form of Presbyterian church government, lists the duties of pastors. Their very first duty listed is prayer. It reads, first, it belongs to the pastor's office to pray for and with his flock as the mouth of the people unto God. How glorious that we are set apart by God to bring our people unto God in prayer. In particular, Tim, let me ch charge you in this way. Take Paul's prayers in his prison epistles and make them your own in your life and ministry. There is something special about Paul's prison epistles, something special about his prayers in those epistles. Think about Colossians. 
for a young church threatened by the heresy that Jesus Christ is insufficient, that we must add the thought systems of the world and the regulations of the old covenant to Christ in order to achieve real spiritual benefit, for a young church threatened by this false teaching that Jesus Christ does not have all we need for all of life and godliness, what does Paul pray for them as he is in chains? Colossians 1, 9 through 12. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Think also about Philippians. For a young church threatened by pride and disunity within, what does Paul pray for them as he is in chains? Philippians 1, 9 through 11. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Think also about Ephesians. For a church who had no specific problem for Paul to correct, what does Paul pray for them as he is in chains? Ephesians 3, 14 and following. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Here are three instances of a pastor praying for his flock as the mouth of the people unto God. What do we learn from these prayers? If we had to summarize these particular prayers, in all of them, Paul is praying for the sanctification of the church. He is constantly praying that the sheep would hear the voice of the great shepherd and follow him more and more, that the body would hold fast to the head, that believers would be transformed into the image of the risen and ascended Christ. Commenting on the prayers in Colossians and Ephesians in particular, David Pallison says, here we see no mention at all of circumstances, no request to be healed, fed, protected, or for other people to change. The requests entirely focus on gaining wisdom in the light of the coming glory of God's kingdom. Such wisdom expresses itself vertically, love for God, and horizontally, love for neighbor. These two prayers plead with God on behalf of other people that both kinds of love would deepen. May God make you know him better. May God make your love for him more and for people more intelligent. In all the different situations for all these churches, Paul was always praying for their renewal and growth in grace. In the same way, dear brother, in all the ups and downs of ministry, and all the seasons of life that your congregation will experience, pray for the sanctification of your people. We could summarize these prayers in another way. From another angle, in all these prayers, Paul's not so much praying that the church would receive something from God, 
but that the church would receive more of God himself. That comes out especially in that prayer in Ephesians 3, that Christ would, may dwell in your hearts, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Just as God's glory filled the tabernacle and later on filled the temple, Paul is praying here that God would fill his new creation temple, the new covenant church, with his glorious presence, as Stephen Baugh comments. As God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2, Paul goes on to pray in Ephesians 3 that we would know more of God's heavenly presence. It is the God-centered, heavenly focus that we see in other biblical prayers. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Psalm 27, 4 and 8. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For me, it is good to be near God. Psalm 73, 25 and following. More of God, more of God's grace, more of God's presence, more communion with God. These are the kinds of things Pastor Paul prays for the churches. Paul's prayers, as well as the Psalms, show us the priority of God himself for the believer. Yes, we ask God to provide for us because only he can do so. But the prayers of the Bible show us that our chief concern, our highest good, is having God for his own sake, not for what he can give us. Listen to how Gerhardus Voss explains what it means to be God-centered. We do not blame the child because it often turns to its father or mother for the simple reason that it wants something which it can procure in no other way. But what would you think of a child which never sought its father's arms or climbed upon its mother's lap unless there was some external want to be supplied? The true child will spontaneously, instinctively, turn to the presence and smile of its parents as a flower will seek the face of the sun. And in the same way, the true child of God will have moments in which he turns to his Father in heaven unconscious of any other desire than the desire to be near unto God. Dear brother, pray in this way for your people. How often is it the case for each of us that we want prayer only occasionally for only certain things, and only after we have tried to take care of those things on our own. But prayer is so much better, so much more glorious than this. Show your people how glorious prayer is. Pray that they would know how glorious it is. Pray that they would know how glorious it is, showing them that prayer is not a hotline to a butler, but a means of communion with our God, who is our blessedness and reward, our treasure and our friend. When all the usual prayer requests come up for health, for safety, etc., put those requests into the God-centered, heaven-oriented prayers of Paul and the psalmist. Take all prayer requests for circumstances and connect them to communion with God and growth in his grace. In all the situations behind all these prayers of Paul, false teaching in Colossians, church conflict in Philippians, or no problem in particular, in Ephesians, Paul is always praying for Christ's church 
that she would have more of him. In praying with and for your people, show them that God gives us something far better than changed circumstances, as appropriate as those may be. He gives us himself. More than temporary goods, things that will fade away, we want our people to glorify and enjoy God for his own sake. Pray that your people would know the glory of God, summarized in Westminster Confession of Faith 2.2, that they would know the all-sufficiency of God who hath all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of himself. Pray that they would live out of his unsearchable riches, taste and see his goodness, and abide in his inexhaustible heavenly reservoirs of grace upon grace in Jesus Christ. Dear brother, don't forget that our religion is supernatural. The Bible is supernatural, it is God-breathed. Salvation is supernatural, a sovereign, monergistic work of resurrection power to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Worship is supernatural, as we come into God's presence in heavenly Mount Zion, even as we commune and remain on earth. And preaching is supernatural, as we hear the voice of Jesus Christ in his word read and proclaimed. In going about all the tasks of ministry, it is sadly easy to forget that ministry itself is supernatural as well. We have been set apart to do something that we cannot do. And so in every task, in every component of your ministry, whether in major and central things or menial, mundane things, do everything prayerfully. Remember the words of our Lord and Savior, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You cannot do a single thing in the ministry on your own, not even the things you are good at. But abiding in Christ, in constant fellowship with him, you will marvel to see his glorious power perfected in your weakness. Pray in these ways for your people, dear brother. A praying pastor is a mighty weapon in the hands of God. A praying pastor is a fearful enemy to the evil one. A praying pastor is an eternal blessing to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me conclude as Gerhardus Voss himself concluded his sermon on prayer. Let us take for our example in prayer the spirit of Jesus himself, for whom notwithstanding the busy scenes of a most public career, no distractions existed to whom every call upon his strength became an occasion for meeting with God, a real contact with God, because the fountains of his, inner, of his strength lay hidden deep in the recesses of his inner life, where he and the Father always beheld each other's face. May the Lord be with you as you shepherd his flock. Greater Hope, before I deliver the charge to love and support Tim as your pastor, as our pastor, I want to share three memories with you. Tim, it's been seven years. It's probably been longer for you. <laughs> it's an amazing day, isn't it? So the first memory was at Kim's in my house. Some of you were there, and some of you might remember. By the end of the evening, I think Tim had spent more time talking with Stan, or maybe it was an inquisition, <laughs> or turned into an inquisition. 
The second was a Greater, Hope, Greater Hope's Christmas party at the Civic Center. I think it was probably the first one we had when Tim and Kelly shared their story. The third was a combination of both of his floor exams at Presbytery. Don't worry, I had a few softballs ready to hand you, but you didn't need them. To me, those three memories represent Tim's journey. The first was about Tim's pursuit of theological accuracy. There's nobody I know who pursues it more purely than Tim. The second was about how the church was being the church, building relationships. I've come to realize no matter how theologically mature we are, no matter how long we've been in the faith, we all need a safe place with strong relationships. We all need a safe church for healing. The third memory was seeing a student of theology pursue his call, pursue the call that God gave him to be a pastor. And to see the growth that can only happen through trials, whether purposefully planned by man or placed by God. If you're not sure what I mean by this, ask Tim. I'm sure he'll tell you about all of the exams and interviews and papers and forms he had to fill out to get here today. Tim, it's been an honor. It's been a joy. It's been an amazing experience to be a part of this journey with you. I look forward to continuing it with you, and even more, I'm even more excited to walk it with you as a fellow elder. As iron sharpens iron, so you and I sharpen each other. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for not leaving us in, your, in our sin. We praise you for picking us up out of the mire. Thank you for sending us men like Tim who desire your heart and who want to see us grow in you. Thank you for Tim and the ministry you've given him. Thank you for Kelly and the love she gives him. Thank you for Abby, Josh, Ariella, Eliza, and his family for the support that they give him. Thank you for this congregation at Greater Hope and the call they've given him. Father, please make this charge clear. In Christ's name, amen. Okay. So, Greater Hope, let's kind of look at this as like a huddle. This is like a preseason huddle before we go out on the field, or as, Tim, or as Stan said, before we go out on the battlefield. All right, so we're in the locker room. The day of ordination and installation for a pastor is one of the most important days of his life. It will be a day he always remembers and celebrates. It's a day he has looked forward to for years, and in this case, way way more many years than he ever thought possible. But this day, Greater Hope Church, is not just about Tim. This is not a graduation ceremony that simply recognizes Tim's hard work and learning. Today marks the beginning of a relationship between us and him. Us individually and us corporately as a congregation. It is the day that officially recognizes the call we have given to him, the responsibility we have entrusted to him, and the respect, the esteem, and peace God has charged us to give and have. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, We ask you, 
brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So, taking my cue from Stan, there's three themes I'd like to share. The first is to respect him. I once was asking a pastor for advice, and I remember this day so clearly. And he asked me how much time I was spending reading the word and in prayer. And in prayer. At the time, I had to be honest and tell him it, it, wasn't, it wasn't much. So he replied by basically saying any advice he provided me that day wouldn't matter if I didn't have my priorities right. So greater hope, when you ask Tim for advice, when you ask him to clarify theological conundrums, come to him prepared to truly listen to what he's saying. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you an open heart and discerning mind. Don't just ask questions wanting your beliefs to be confirmed. Know that Tim has spent years studying decades debating and wrestling with hard truths and learning to take cliches out of the simple truths. He spends time in prayer to be ready to provide you godly advice. So the lesson, the lesson tonight is to respect him by making sure you're prepared for his counsel. He has and does continue to, pro to prepare to provide it for you. The second is to esteem him in love. As he seeks to be your servant and to fulfill Jesus' command in Mark 10, verse, verse 42 through 44, he will undoubtedly make personal sacrifices for your sake. He will walk through some of the most joyous and some of the saddest times of your lives. You most likely won't know how much this will weigh on him or his family, as you shouldn't know. You should just know that it happens. So esteem him by praying for him. Pray for his marriage. Pray for Kelly. Pray for Abby. Help him protect his time with his family by noticing the clock before you call or text him. Learn who Tim is and when he needs your support. And learn who Kelly is and when she needs your support. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you an open heart and discerning mind. Tim will be doing the same for you. The third theme changes the object of our focus tonight from Tim to ourselves. It is to be at peace among ourselves. It's interesting that this is included in verse 13 and doesn't begin verse 14 when Paul begins instructing church members on how they should relate to each other. So let me ask you how we respect and esteem our pastor, or how can we respect and esteem our pastor if we aren't at peace among ourselves? If we are not at peace among ourselves, Tim will spend his time resolving, resolving conflict between us and not in the duties found in verse 12. And I think you can look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
verse 3, if I remember correctly, about the civilian activities. And that applies here as well. So therefore, our respect and our esteem for Tim begins with our respect and esteem for ourselves. For our respect and esteem and peace between ourselves. More importantly, we should seek peace with our Father in heaven through Jesus and seek to respect and esteem Jesus as our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Then we will be at peace among ourselves. And we will be able to respect and esteem Tim as our pastor. So ask the Holy Spirit to give you an open heart and discerning mind. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you for being the head of this church. We worship you for being the head of this church. We submit ourselves to your headship. Father, we praise you for the work you're doing through Greater Hope and in Mulberry. Holy Spirit, we praise you for the call you've put on Tim's life and the sensitive heart you've put in him. Give us open hearts and discerning minds to respect and esteem Tim as we seek to respect and esteem you. Make us at peace between ourselves as as you make us at peace with you. Father, I look forward to seeing your future work in Tim and in Greater Hope and throughout Mulberry. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, this is cool. Really cool to get to be here. <clears throat> it's better to have air, unlike we had at the particularization service. <laughs> Still haunts me to this day. Every time I drive through Mulberry, I think about no air. The... No, Mulberry is very special to me. Uh, my sister-in-law was actually Stan and Stacy's one of their teachers at Mulberry High School, uh, and uh, and then another family member who attended uh, First Baptist Mulberry for many many years. Um, but I think about you guys often, uh, and it's great to get to be a part of these different stages uh, in the journey. Uh, Tim, congratulations, well done. I know it's been long. You probably hate our committee, but that's okay. Um, we, we, uh, we love you, even though you may not love us. Uh, I'm going to read one verse to you, and then I'm going to pray uh, as we uh, finish out here. This is Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Oh, Father, uh, it's great to be able to gather and celebrate this, but it's even greater that we get to call you Father. Uh, It is the hope, the great hope, the even greater hope that we have in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that brings us here, that brought Stan up through growing up here, going to school, going to seminary, working at Lakeland Christian, working at Trinity, you continuing to burden his heart to return to his hometown and say, I want to plant a, a church there. I want to see people who didn't come to know, who didn't know you prior, come to know you as a result of there being a testimony to the greater hope in Greater Hope Church. And so we realize times like this that you're way more committed to Mulberry than we ever could be. Uh, you've been committed to Mulberry for much longer than we have, since before Stan was born, since before Tim was born, since before any of us were born, you were committed to this community. And so we thank you that that 
is more and more coming online for us. We're realizing it more and more uh, as we see Greater Hope grow, as we see it become its own church, as we see staff, pastors added to it. Uh, thank you that you're revealing more and more of that. We pray for this city, that more and more people in this city would come to know you as a result, direct result of this ministry. We pray for the members of Greater Hope that in the places they live, work, and play, they would love to talk about you. They would love to describe you. They would love, as Adam shared earlier, to talk about communing with you, what joy that brings them, what a difference that makes in their lives, that they would be people who characterize humility and joy and all the other fruit that your spirit is producing in your people. And so I thank you for this kingdom outpost. I pray that it would only grow and strengthen. I pray that under uh, this pastoral leadership, as well as the rule of the elders and care of the deacons, uh, more and more people who don't know you would come to know you. Uh, and so we commit this church to you. We commit these pastors, these elders, these deacons, these members, and those who come on a weekly basis who are unsure, those who've been coming for a while but haven't joined in membership, we commit all of them to you and pray that you would continue by your spirit uh, to build your church, that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, that Mulberry would more and more be covered with your glory as the waters cover the sea, that it would continue to mine the riches of your grace as it for so many years has mined the phosphate of this area. And so continue to work, Father. Continue to work as they commit their way to you, that they would trust in you, and you'll act. And so we trust you, and we praise you and glory in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm humbled by the grace of God and the love that you've shown. In this benediction, I pray that you're humbled by his grace and his love. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.